the person is already suffering, carrying hurt around, unmet love needs, and all this comes from childhood wounding, so the person is powerless and can't get out by oneself. So they feel fear, shame, and rather like a helpless child. What would the addict need is compassion and unconditional or real love. Since they're detached, they need to be attached. Hey, you're listening to the Blessed Couple Podcast, where we talk about how to do this marriage thing and experience God in the process. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Let's get started. I'm kind of honored. I'm really honored that you invited me to speak on this topic and also for you, whoever is here, that you take the time for it because it's a huge issue. It is so widespread. Basically, I mean, all of us have an addiction or several addictions. But of course, today we want to talk about those that are burdening and disrupting the lives of the one who is addicted and their loved ones. I guess I was invited because uh, I have been for a long time working in this field, specifically sex addiction and homosexuality, even so over 20, 25 years. And Sarah, you said that I'm a marriage coach. I just want to correct. I'm not as good as marriage coaching as I am in family and relationships. Family is my passion. Parenting is what I started with, and then I realized that it's an issue that needs to be addressed by the whole family. And since then, I I mean, my work really is parents call about issues that the kids have, the very issues of being sex addicted, being computer addicted, cutting themselves, drinking drugs, you name it. And somehow they feel... Everything is all right in the family. We are pretty nice. We're pretty good. We just have this one child that has the problems, and we don't know what to do. Can you get him to therapy? That's usually how it starts out. And then I educate the parent that there's no way I can get a child to therapy or talk a child into therapy. It is the parents who have to deal with the issue first, or the parents have to deal with themselves first and look at themselves, what their personal work is, and what the whole energy and system, family system is, and what could possibly have hurt the child. But I'm not talking today just about children who are in addictions. I really want to address overall for every, any age, saying something about addiction. I prepared a PowerPoint, and I want to say this here that I want to talk real slow with less information. The reason is there's so much to absorb. I mean, there's so much to understand an addiction. And I haven't spoken to this group on addiction. Therefore, I thought I just want to bring up the main points. It's kind of like I want to keep you on the train and follow a red thread to how does it develop and how do we get there. Thank you again for being here and let's begin. In order to address this, we need to ask ourselves, what is addiction? What are the most common addictions? Why do people become addicted? What leads to addiction? What is the addict going through? 
and what's needed for healing. For healing, compassion is needed. So therefore, if compassion is missing, how can a loved one shift? How can we lose or overcome our disappointment, judgment, and anger and shift to compassion? Those are the questions that we go through one by one in order to understand the whole fabric of addiction. So what is addiction? It's a behavior characterized by compulsive consumption. It's when somebody really can't say no in their own power. If they need somebody to drag them away, if somebody just can't stay away from it, compulsive then we call it addiction. And of course, anything like this has nothing to do with balance or control or being empowered. There's none of that. It has been lost. When something like this is going on, that it's so compulsive, then it leads to disruption in daily life. It consumes a person. It also consumes the people around them, the family, the extended family, sometimes the workplace. So there's time and energy loss, loss of productive time at work in relationships and physical and emotional health. So usually relationships are just confused, stressed, upside down. There's a lot of blaming, anger, yelling, denial going on, and then that has an effect. I mean, the addiction itself and the atmosphere around this, the stress, is physical and emotional health issues. It is progressive in nature. It's getting worse if it's not treated, if nobody pays any attention to it. It just keeps spiraling downward. And overall, we could say addiction is a cover-up, a band-aid, the medicine, and it's a survival method because what's underneath is unresolved issues which are hurting so badly and the person can't take it. Most common addictions are, we all know, alcohol and drugs, pornography, sex can be an addiction in different ways, social media, so computer, electronics, all the young kids are addicted to it, no doubt about it. Overeating, gambling, anger, and the, you know, people are rageaholics or bully. Other people just please are codependent and use imitation love. So the extroverted people or the, for whatever reason, some bring it out and are angry. The others make everything nice, nice and are the pleasers and codependent. We're very familiar with those things. But then interesting, there's lots more. I just put some on the slide here. I would say, you know, workaholism or in religion, the people who sacrifice and work very hard and do, 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 that's usually praised. I mean, it's accepted in society. It's, we get a badge for it, but it can just as well be a cover-up for a lot of other things in life going after money, having things, going after things, doing shopping, 
And then, of course, these days, the bodybuilders, okay, nothing against bodybuilders, but when things become extreme, that the focus is on that and people are obsessed also with health food, then it can be an addiction. It can cover up something else. It can replace something else. So we need to ask ourselves, why do people become addicted? It is from unresolved pain. Underneath, so underneath the addiction, that means the person is in so much pain, they don't know what to do with it. And most people don't know that all these things come from childhood wounds that are unaddressed. The pain is great. People can't live with it, can't somehow stand it. It's an emotional pain. It's usually feeling helpless, feeling alone, feeling detached. Anxiety comes from it. People can't live with anxiety. Okay, so I take a pill or I drink. It calms me down. So each addiction has a different reason. It has a different root. And of course, living with this is terrible. So we seek relief. The relief feels good. Let's do a little more because we don't want to be in pain. So then a person seeks more. And when somebody feels good with whatever medication one uses, then they want more and they stay in a denial. When one is in a denial, there's no immediate need to identify anything, to admit anything, to look in the mirror or to get help. It's just good. It's just fine. And when a person admitted to this or took the step. It's almost like crossing over the bridge. Okay, I'm going into this land. I'm using whatever I use. And here I feel fairly safe. I have guilt, but I feel fairly safe. Okay, here, is, here I know my way around. I'm comfortable in this. And who knows if I try to get out of it, I have to go back over this bridge into this other land where I had pain. And I don't think I can do this. This is what's going on in the addict. So question is, what leads to addiction? We already said unresolved pain from childhood. It is too painful to live with it. And I want to state here that pain comes from two sources. Usually we think that it just comes, you know, if somebody is abused, had a trauma, if somebody died that they loved and they couldn't get over it, or if they were sexually abused, or something like this. But it's also from unmet love needs. If a child is not understood for what they need and don't get what their needs are, then it becomes painful. So two things, I want to say this here again, two things cause the pain. Unmet love needs, or the actual event, the event that we remember, that there was a trauma, abuse, neglect, abandonment, or enmeshment. So probably 90% of the people on call are wondering what enmeshment is. At least I get that always as a question, so I want to say more about this here. Enmeshment is when our boundaries are broken, when a person, the other person doesn't know where they end and where the child begins or the other person begins. And they, they misuse the positions. So the most famous example for enmeshment is 
forgive me if any, but the Jewish mother just trying to protect the children or their oldest son. You know, this nothing can happen. Or another famous example is the unhappy marriage and the mother living through the child or the children that the love needs are coming from or taken from that relationship. So that is enmeshment and it's very painful or it causes a lot of injury in the child. I want to also show this in a different way. I use this diagram a lot. Every single family I work with, I explain that we are born with the true self and the inherited self. The true self is the divine self that we are born with and meant our destiny, what we are meant to become. The inherited self has the good and the bad, the, the positive things, the merit we have from our ancestors, and also the unresolved sins. If we would have unconditional love, forgiveness, and real good, deep understanding, if people would attend us when we are children, the true self would blossom. They would recognize who we are, who are we meant to be, and help to create this in us. We would see the gifts, the talents, and further the good self, and we would indemnify what we call the fallen self or the sin, the negative inheritance. But unfortunately, in this imperfect world, we don't have this, and we experience abuse, abandonment, enmeshment, and neglect. There's no perfect parents, there's no perfect teacher, no perfect coach, no perfect family, no perfect environment, and I think you got the point. So therefore, we're dealing with this, and unfortunately get fairly little of the good stuff, the unconditional love and forgiveness, and attendance. So when we get the wrong stuff, the things that make a child feel fear, we feel guilt and shame. We realize that something is wrong. This couldn't be it because we are born without, or hopefully, if, we had, if there was a good pregnancy and a fairly good environment, you know, we come with a fairly good feeling to this earth and, okay, we scream. The first thing is crying, but then a child has no boundaries or no, what do you say, no idea of, that something could be wrong. A child is just free, laughs, cries, plays, jumps, moves around, and there's no boundary until the environment, of course, says, ah, you can do this, or says, this is so bad, you know, these things. So we put this when we don't know how to correctly lead the child and teach the safe things and not safe things and so on, then the child gets this fear, guilt, and shame. And when it cannot be worked out, then we become defensive, we put an armor around us, and we get angry. So the anger comes from unresolved pain and hurt. And I want everybody to say this again in their mind. Anger comes from unresolved pain and hurt because the whole world is angry. And we have to learn patience. We have to learn love, kindness, those things. Because especially also, since we are living with so much stress, 
the anger comes out faster. Of course, we try to be kind. We know that we should be kind, and we are kind more in the professional world. We are kind out there with other people. But as many of you probably know, we are most unkind to the people who are closest to us and love us the most because there we can be our real self or we don't have to work so hard. We can explode and we know that they don't run away from us because we belong to the couple, we belong to the family, the loved ones, they're not going to close the door right away on us and so on. So this is definitely, you can read about it in the end everywhere in the books about relationship. We let our anger out mostly around the loved ones. Since we can't live with this, with the anger, out there we take on masks. And depending on what environment we go to, if it's at school, if it's at work, wherever we go, we may have the same mask or we have several different masks. And depending, and interesting enough, we use, we learn to pull on that mask according to the gifts we have. Like if we are gifted as a, I always use the same example, if you've heard this before, but it is so clear, like if we are a person with humor, if we are a funny person, the easiest thing is to go into the mask of an entertainer and clown. So if something is going on at home that we don't want anybody to know that we are losing the house, that the parents are getting divorced, there's fighting the, all the time going on, or that whatever is happening, or that somebody has a learning disability, or, you know, whatever happens that makes us unsafe. Then we put on the mask and we entertain, in this case, what I use as an example, so we entertain the world around us and they all think, wow, she or he is cool. Oh, they must be happy. But the person gets exhausted from the mask, goes home, lays down in bed, tries to recover, and becomes the loner. So we have many, at endless, we could talk about how many masks and what kind of masks we have, but this is what we do in order to feel safe, to have affirmation from others, and to be accepted. And when we stay for a very long time, for a long time in these different masks, it takes us away from the core. We are functioning in our fragments, outside of ourselves, we are leaving ourselves, the lost self. So we are dancing around in different masks and become get so out of balance that we create illnesses, disorders and addictions. Hey, if you're getting something good from this episode, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with someone you love or leave a five-star review because the only way this podcast spreads around is through word of mouth. So a share or a review would go a long way and it only takes like 10 seconds to do. Thanks, back to the show. Illness, disorder, and addiction. So now here we are, do you see the path? That's what I want everybody to understand. The path from look down where the true self and inherited self is, that we get not treated correctly and we don't get what we need for our character. And so it piles up one thing after the other. 
fear, unresolved anger, we put a mask on, we do it for so long, we have pain. We have so much, we, we are out of balance, so we get an illness disorder, and the pain or the pain, the emotional pain, is so bad that we move into addiction to cover it up. And then according to our environment, whatever we see, if we know of okay, if drinking is what the father did, if pornography is what the father, the uncle, the kids at, at the camp, for example, did, so many are pulled into this. These days also people get uh, abused and seduced into homosexuality. It has a different reason of all, but there's more and more people who get introduced early to the same gender sexual activities than to opposite gender. So then they get confused and so on. That field is big. So this is how addiction develops. Question is, how do we get out of it? Well, what, the first we want to see, how does a person feel who chose something to cover up? If it's alcohol if drug and other drugs or if it's pornography and any other sexual addiction. How does a person feel? The addict is helpless, alone, and disconnected from oneself and from the others. Why are we disconnected from the other? Because we get criticized. We get judged. People just turn their eyes and wonder. Or say, you know, doesn't he have enough? Isn't there an end to this? Or the kids today, you know, get off your phones. Get off the computer. So there's so much judgment, accusation, anger, and it never solved anything. Nobody gets off addiction through this. Compassion is the answer. So the person is already suffering, carrying hurt around unmet love needs, and all this comes from childhood wounding. So the person is powerless and can't get out by oneself. So they feel fear shame, and rather like a helpless child. What would the addict need is compassion and unconditional or real love. Since they're detached, they need to be attached. <laughs> so a community, loved ones around, who give them the feeling that they're accepted and understood so that they have the feeling of belonging. And of course, they need time, or let me say, in order to feel or to get their love needs met, we need to spend time with other people. We need to be able to talk, to communicate. We need to get feedback. We need to be included. And we need healthy touch. So time, touch, and talk, the three T's. It's very easy. I've parented on that young parents from age, you know, from birth on with their children. Always remember if anything is out of order, if there's anything going on, bad grades, anger, somehow depression, and later on addiction, always look in the field of time, touch, and talk. When we begin to understand what those three areas are, what falls into these categories, and what we could do, we can resolve all the problems because the person comes back to healing. That's all our need. We need to be, look at a baby's born, comes out of the womb. We spend time, we touch, and we talk. For deeper healing, so when we are talking about addiction, there's also a need to do inner child work, and I'll talk about this a little bit, and 
self-esteem work, which means, you know, we are regaining the self. We are valuing ourselves. We are happy about ourselves. We look in the mirror and we say, okay, it's good what I see. So I wanted to talk here a little bit more about this time, touch, and talk because we are basically understanding and, and usually okay with time and with talk, but afraid of touch. And in all the programs that I have looked at and that are out there, there's a lot of drilling of, you know, read the scripture, do this, don't be alone, turn off anything on the computer so you can't reach certain sites. If you want to click on your phone, it makes and your mentor is called. Those are all great things. My opinion is that the piece of healthy touch is the missing piece. Touch says, I like you. I really like you. You're okay. And it gives the person the confidence. It gives the person the connection, the belonging, and the person can feel safe. Healthy touch means I can be like back in the womb. I can be in my mother's arms, my father's arms. I can be a child and I can be loved. So I've seen, like I said in the beginning, I've done this work for 25 years and I have done deep emotional processing with clients, many healing seminars where the group would provide those things sometimes and where people receive and feel the first time how healthy touch is and I've experienced that they weep, can believe that they can, they can land at a safe place and if they go home from that, if they stay in a small safe group and not two people alone, then we can learn to provide healthy healing touch. Churches, religion is afraid of it, and that's why I think we have the people in churches sitting in the benches, and they get to a certain degree of managing addiction and not to the deep healing. But in order for a mentor to do this correctly and to be the one who can provide healing touch. The mentor needs to be always a step ahead and needs to do the same work or earlier than the addict, inner child work and self-esteem work. In any therapy, in any treatment, those are the two most important components. First, we read, we gain knowledge. We read about issues, we understand where we are at, what we would need to do. So knowledge is important, then comes awareness, this is what's going on in me, then comes some skill building or some boundaries. In addiction we say stay away from the playground, playmates, and play toys. So those things get then implemented but then comes the deeper healing, then comes the real emotional processing going to the root and pulling out the root. Where did this come from? 
For the people who are the mentors is of course the question how do I shift to compassion if I don't have it, if I'm already so fed up with this whole issue, if I'm around, I'm exhausted. So far it's going on for years and years, I didn't know what to do. Begin to see the person is the victim. The person never chose to do this. The person never made the decision, oh, I'm just going to bug all the people around me and I'm going to do this. There's no conscious decision. They fall into it because nothing else works and they can't help themselves. Like you said, they're alone and they're helpless. And they suffer the most. Believe me. They are the ones who suffer the most. They would love to get rid of it. They would love to come out of it. They might have lost the belief of it in it, but they are the ones who want to come out. So the first step is to see that the person is a victim and somebody was the perpetrator. The bad parenting, the abuse, the neglect. I'm not saying the parent. Anybody around can be. But the child experienced something that is so painful and could never resolve it. So we can only have compassion when we have a full love tank when we are okay with ourselves, when we are so full that we say, oh, okay, I feel good. Hey, where's somebody I can love? <laughs> Ready to live for the other. So when this is missing for the compassion for the one who is addicted, then we need to first find the compassion, build, rebuild ourselves. That means the mentor needs to go through inner child work and experience unconditional or real love. And only when we get familiar in the territory and learn and ex experience and live unconditional love, then we can go on and love those who have addictions. In this talk today and presentation, I really wanted to bring up something that probably hardly anybody's introduced to, and it's an absolute need for the addict to address inner child work. And I'm taking this model from a Dutch therapist. His website is up there, innerchildwork.net. You can read up on it. There's a book you can buy in English. And I want to just basically explain what happens, or what is the inner child work? How can we get a little bit of an understanding for this? We are born, if you look to the left side, we are born the pure child and the inherited self, of course. Then, as we said, we don't have perfect environment, so we get wounded. So inside of us are these four components. So the next one is the wounded child. Those two, just imagine those two. Those two are right now in pretty bad shape. The one is not grown up, is immature. The other one is wounded, <laughs> and the two of them are lost, lost children. So inside of us, the survivor comes along and says, oh, I got to save this situation. I got to do something. And creates the masks, the defense, the protector. So the survivor and protector comes in and is around. And the child and the wounded child, they can hide. They can relax a little. But of course, we have it in us that we want to get healed. So we kind of scratch inside, and that's all the pain, the emotional pain that people have who are addicted. It comes from somewhere. All of us have it to a certain degree, but those who are addicted have more. And what we need to develop is the loving adult inside 
people eventually who says, oh, wow, I can overlook this whole thing. Where did it come from? What do I have to do? And the, the adult will, or the parent will create a relationship with the pieces inside. So inner child work is basically, to explain it very simple, imagine that you have these four parts inside of you and the adult or parent wakes up and says, I had enough of this. I want to get to know what happened. I want to know my history. I go back into this. I want to know what happened, and I want to know how my wounded child feels and how my original child feels. What do I need so that I can get rid of the survivor? Cross it out. want to get rid of it. That is the goal. That in ourselves, for example, when I'm triggered as an adult, I'm not saying me, Hilda, when the adult is when when a person is triggered, if we get to the place that we can say, Oops, I'm triggered, what happened? Look inside and know I know myself so well, that I know myself so well that I can identify, uh uh-huh, this is the cause, this is why I react like this, and don't blame the world around me then is a mature relationship within ourselves and we can keep our peace or we can keep we can regulate our emotions. Okay? We can regulate our emotions and we don't have to explode. We don't need to grab onto any addiction. So this would be the desired work and stage to get to. Doing inner child work and having healthy touch are the two things that are not mentioned in any program that I have looked at, and I believe this gives us the answer because I've seen people recover from any kind of addiction. I've seen people heal to a place where they just feel comfortable with themselves, get out of these different things, get away from being also things like raging, abusing the spouse by words, abusing the kids through emotions. So the I said it here in words again, the inner child journey consists of four parts. The true child, the wounded child, the survivor and protector, and the parent. So the last line here said, when we have compassion for ourselves and are okay with ourselves like this, that we know ourselves, then we have peace enough to give it to others. We have a balance. I believe the time we've... So this is my last slide. I... Just wanted to list here, I don't want to go into deep detail, but I thought in order to make this complete, you can take a picture with your iPhone. That's what I do when I see webinars. What is needed for healing? There's spiritual discipline and emotional and physical discipline. So for spiritual, I think we're all familiar with prayer, reading, any kind of conditions, ancestor liberation, emotion code. That's addressing the spiritual arena. With that, when we do this, we create a better foundation so that we can get help from above. That we also get, I mean, I could say here, meditation, affirmation, visualization. All those things fit into this discipline. It's calming down. It's creating peace. It's creating a foundation. And it's, at the same time, foundation of faith. Other disciplines are journaling, keeping a mood log. There's anybody interested, Dr. David Burns, very good work on the 10 days to self-esteem. 
checking always. Uh -huh, I have a negative emotion. Now I want to do this. I want to go on the computer and do porn and writing down what happened. Why am I doing this? What is my real need? What is my real need? It's not pornography. It is not being addicted to the iPhone. It's not drinking. It's not cutting oneself. It certainly is never the addiction. There's always something underneath that's missing, that is unaddressed, and that's why we go into addiction. Sharing with mentors, having people around us, having a community, gaining belongings through this, going to a 12-step group, learning about real love, I find very important. Going to seminars, doing things like the Mankind Project is very good for males. This doesn't exist for women. It's deep emotional processing is excellent. And then the safety features that I said earlier, you know, turning off certain things and creating boundaries. And then, of course, getting time, touch, talk, real love, and professional help, doing one's inner child work and self-esteem work. That is, ask me, that's what I've always worked through, this kind of a program with people, and is, I think, is the answer to healing addiction. We are not stopping it. We are not saying, no, no, you can't do this. Do other things so you don't fall into this. We are talking here about going to the root, pulling out the root, so that the unmet love need is satisfied. And the old picture of I'm alone, I'm neglected, or I was abused, or things like this, that the old picture gets overwritten through a new picture. And I thank you for listening. And if you want to know more, and this is my website, you can reach me through my website. Hey, if you want to improve your relationship or take your sex life to the next level, well, you're in luck because more than 70% of couples that take our Love and Integrity course said that the quality of their sexual relationship improved after joining the course. Sounds good? You can join the program today with your spouse or just take the course by yourself at loveandintegrity.com. See you in the next episode.